Do you love God but struggle to fit in? Do you have questions that never seem to get answered? Do you just want to have honest conversations about things that matter? Well, let's slow down and take the time to do just that. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. This week, we continue our conversation about church with our friend Colby Martin. See, it's really not about belonging. It's about fitting in. Fitting in is when you hack off parts of yourself or you add on parts that are not natural to you so that you can, quote, fit in. Belonging is just, oh, do you have breath in your lungs? Do you have blood flowing through your veins? Then you are a love child of God, full stop. So you belong here. You're in. You're in. A quick note about our sponsors before we get going. Keep track of Rise Nutrition and Infinity Beverages as things continue to ebb and flow with our current situation. As of right now, both places are open. So you can find information about Rise Nutrition at Rise Menominee on Facebook. That's Rise with a Z. And you can keep track of all of the hours and offerings of Infinity Beverages by going to www.infinitybeverages.com. Well, as we continue our conversation on the church, we are going to catch up with Colby Martin. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's because he was on the podcast just a little over a month ago talking about the LGBTQ community and specifically talking about his book, Unclobber. Incredible podcast. Highly recommend you check it out. And if you do listen to that podcast, you'll get to hear a little bit about Colby's backdrop, what he's come from, what he's come out of. And we're going to pick up basically right from there and jump into this new conversation. So you won't hear much about his backstory or where he came from. Now, Kobe, along with his wife, Kate, they are co-pastors of a church community in San Diego, California called Sojourn Grace Collective. They also have a great podcast called The Kate and Kobe Show. And Kobe just recently put out a new book called The Shift. The Shift is all about going from traditional conservative evangelical Christianity to what he calls progressive Christianity and to really get a framework for the way Kobe thinks about church and about this entire topic it's really important that we understand what he means when he's discussing progressive versus conservative Christianity so here's Kobe Martin In my experience, labels are super helpful and very important until they're not. I think when we are developing identities about ourselves, trying to trying to understand who we are in relationship to the world around us, labels become really helpful for us to try to understand our experience. And yet, then there comes a point where suddenly the label feels constrictive. And we're like, no, you can't put me in a box. I'm not just this thing. And so we might actually transcend the label at some point where it's no longer helpful anymore. Why I say that is because I think when you talk about leaving sort of the world of evangelical Christianity, and there's that moment of having transcended that label where you're like, that's not me anymore. There's that moment of freedom like, ah, I'm beyond that. That's, that can't hold me back anymore. I, I don't fit there any longer. And then soon it's followed by, but now I kind of feel like I'm just free falling and I don't really know what I am or where I am, which is not a bad place to be. It's just, uh, it's just a place to be. And I think for some people, they find it unsustainable. We're meaning making machines. And so we need to have some sort of helpful guidelines. And so this is part of why I use the term progressive Christian 
to describe it, describe myself, and we talk about our church as a progressive Christian church, not because it's a perfect definition, but because it, it helps to communicate to other people that they can have a general sense and awareness of where I'm coming from. And for me, when I talk about moving along the more progressive spectrum, I'm trying to just name a couple things that are are generally shared with people who live on the progressive coast. And I'm talking about those who, um, this is a hot issue. Most people, if they check off this issue, they, they will be put into the progressive category at least. And that is affirming of LGBTQ people. So instantly, if you are affirming of gay people, then you are at least no longer considered conservative. A second one I call is uh, an, an agreeableness towards science, which is to say that science is not the enemy of religion. Science in its most noble efforts is simply trying to uncover the truth of what is, which should map on precisely beautifully to religion. Like we're also trying to uncover the truth of what is. And yet I find that oftentimes when you go more towards the conservative coast, you find more skepticism and mistrust of science, whereas progressives tend to have an agreeableness towards science. I also talk about the idea of being egalitarian with regards to men and women. So not all conservatives, but certainly as you move towards the conservative coast, you will run into complementarian ideas, which is to say that men are the head and women are, are a little bit lesser. And for me, that's problematic in all sorts of ways. And so to name that you're progressive is to say, yeah, I, I kind of think that male and female are both created in the image of God and they're equal. And then the fourth one is to name that growing and transforming and shifting and changing is part of it. It feels to me like when you move more towards the conservative end of the religious spectrum, there is this sense that you're just trying to get to a particular destination and then arrive. You're trying to get the right beliefs and then lock those things down. Whereas the more you move towards a more progressive stance, you realize that questions and curiosities and openness and mystery and doubt all of these belong and you might just wake up one day realizing i don't believe what i used to believe and and that's okay uh, whereas in, in more conservative coasts that's not okay that's a reason to be alarmed kobe just opened the door to a really really important conversation and that's the idea of certainty going to church going to organized church for the last i don't know how many years i've really sensed that i'm going there to learn how to become certain about my faith the question that was always posed is well do you know for sure do you know for certain where you're going after you die well if you believe in jesus you can be certain that you're going to heaven and that's so much of what we are indoctrinated with. But the more I think about that and the more I read those Bible passages and the more I just think about my own life, I start to lose that sense of certainty. And when I start to lose that sense of certainty because of what I've grown up with, I feel like I'm losing my faith. So I asked Kobe, as I lose my certainty, am I also going to lose my faith? Uh, you will lose it, and that's okay, but it's terrifying, and it's terrifying for really good reason. So this is where I like to start with people, is, is I like to say, you were given through no fault of your own, because we don't choose our parents, we don't choose the home that we're raised in, we don't choose the religion that we're raised in, we don't choose the country or the region that we're born into, we don't choose any of that. So you were given a view or an understanding of God that involves the following idea. The most important thing to God is what you believe. 
This is a capital T truth that has been given to, I would say, the majority of people who grow up in more conservative religious environments. That the God of the universe, the God who created everything, cares most about what people think between their ears. What if that's not true? What if we can take a step back from that and at least just for a moment entertain the idea that God might care about something more than just what humans think. That's a pretty arbitrary measuring stick. That's a pretty weird one. When I think about my own kids, there was never a point in their growing up years and their development at all where even in the top 10 things that I cared most about is, man, I really care that one day they grow up to know exactly what I do for a living that they believe the right things about me, that they have the right ideas in their head when they think about me. This just wasn't on the list of things that I cared about. Their ideas about who I am, where I came from, and what I do it just didn't really matter to me. But we were given this idea that, that God cares most about what we think. And then we were told and given the idea that not only did you have to have the right beliefs, but then you had to hold on to them with certainty because your very standing with God, which is to say your relationship to God, which is to say how God feels about you and how all of that is dependent upon you maintaining the right beliefs with certainty and not doubting them. So this is kind of what f what we've been told faith is, believing the right things and then holding on to them with certainty. So then when some yokel like me or you come along and start throwing out these ideas of, I don't know, let's just ask questions. Let's just hold these things loosely. Let's maybe not have answers for a while. We're not just playing with intellectual ideas in sort of a, a, a safe environment. No, we are, we are messing with people's fundamental belief about themselves and how they feel in relationship to the divine. It's not just a fun intellectual exercise for people to think about. It, it has these, this deep connection to how they think their standing with God will be impacted. So it's incredibly scary, is my point. It's incredibly scary to, to relax our grip on long-held beliefs. And it's scary for good reason. Where I like to try to start with people then is to just do that. Be like, what if, what if just for a moment you entertained the idea that there are things that God cares about far more? If God is going to suddenly say that you have to pass the right intellectual, theological, doctrinal test in order to get into heaven when you die, then suddenly... 99 out of 100 humans have just been royally screwed over by that. Especially when you look at the life of Jesus. I and I talk about this in the book. Like, I don't think Jesus cared at all what people believed about him. So we've gotten this idea that the most important thing is that we believe the right things about Jesus. But Jesus himself, even the few times when someone proclaimed, like, no, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, Jesus' response was, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. If... If the most important thing to God is that you believe the right things, and if Jesus was God in the flesh, so then Jesus' most important thing was that you also believe the right things, then Jesus should have been far more aggressive on the, yes, you got the answer right, now make sure everybody knows. But no, he taught in parables. Confusing, obscure, hard to understand parables. Sorry, not a good teacher. If a good teacher is to get a student to get the right answers on the test, and if Jesus was supposed to get us to get the right answer for when we die, then can we just be honest and say, not a good teacher? Because parables are super confusing. Anyway, I'm getting off point a little bit. But yes, relaxing on the whole idea of certainty is super scary, and for good reason for people. But I think if we can push back that discomfort a bit, people will find on the other side of that this freedom to appreciate that maybe God cares about something other than just ideas in our head.
may have to pause this podcast and just think about that section that Kobe just rattled off for a while because that messes with the whole concept of why we even go to church. We go to church so we can understand for certain what we believe, which then leads into another question. We go to church to hear somebody tell us about what the Bible says about certainty. So if certainty is not something that we're focused on and the Bible is supposed to get us to that certainty, well, then how do we look and view the Bible? So if, if, legal, if legal documents are incorrect and they have factual inaccuracies, then that starts to unravel democratic societies. So legal documents have to be precise. They have to be accurate. You can't have, you can't have contradictions because then people can just take it in two different ways and you have all sorts of problems. Math books have to be accurate. Science books have to be accurate because we're building rockets and shooting them into space. We're carrying people at 30,000 feet into the air into these metal tubes of death. So we need math to be accurate. A poem is completely in the eye of the beholder. So you can interpret it and you can receive from it whatever it might offer to you. My point is is that in in sort of our Western American modern world, we have taken the Bible and treated it like a textbook, treated it like a scientific document. We, we've put expectations on it that it needs to be historically accurate, needs to be scientifically accurate. And in part, it's because we have built our, our religious institutions around it. We've built our, in, in many ways, our faith around it. And so if it's not exactly true in every part, then we are afraid of what that means for our faith. And I say that because I want to just normalize that that sort of faith and anxiety, it makes a lot of sense. People aren't stupid for wanting the Bible to be a certain thing. It is impossible to ignore the ways that the Bible does contradict itself, the way the Bible does contradict well-known science, the way that it's just not an inerrant document. It has errors in it. And that's super scary and super threatening for people who have built their entire religious ideas around it's a Jenga tower, and if you just pull out one block of thing in the Bible that's suddenly not true, then the whole tower will fall down. Okay, well then if it's not that, then what is it? In my book, I talk about, you know, I no longer buy into the Bible as inerrant, because it's not, it has errors. I no longer buy into the Bible as infallible, and the term infallible means that it is reliable and trustworthy, and you can, as long as you follow it out, then you'll never go astray. Well, no, the Bible's been used to justify all sorts of atrocious periods in life, whether it's slavery or segregation or the oppression of women. It's not infallible. It can lead people astray. But there's another I word, inspired, that I think still... It still works for me to talk about the Bible as inspired. And I think, what is that, Second uh, Timothy 3, 16, you know, Word of God is, in, is inspired and, and useful and helpful for, and then Paul lists off a number of things that it's useful. And, well, it's, it is. It's, it's useful and helpful for building a, uh, a life that is full of flourishing and, and wellness and wholeness and goodness. It's not a static collection of historical documents. It is a library of diverse letters and poems and stories that 
that seem to map out generations upon generations of human beings' attempts to understand themselves, to understand one another, to understand why we're here. Like this is a this is a long and hard fought collection of uh, human efforts to try to get at the deepest mysteries and understandings of what it means to be alive and what it might mean to be in relationship with someone and something beyond us. And this is some hard fought wisdom in here. Things that have transcended cultures and transcended time. And so for me, I come at this, I'm like, no, there's still immense value and worth here as it relates to trying to understand who I am and and what it means to be alive, what it means to live a life of love. I talk about in the book using love as our compass. Rather than rather than the, the Bible being the thing that sort of tells us what is right and what is wrong, that can get a little bit funky sometimes. But if, if love, if there's a certain passage in the Bible that leads you towards greater love of self or others or God, batten that thing down. That is good and helpful and useful. If there's another part of the Bible that leads you away from love of self, of others, or God, you have all the freedom in the world to just think, eh, I'm going to leave that one aside. Moving on, moving on from it. All of this certainly puts a bit of a wrench in our traditional thought of church. And if I'm honest, conversations like this, even though I love them, I get excited about them, they're also very frustrating because I think of all the great work that could be done inside walls of organized church. But then I'm reminded that it really feels to me like we have been on this grand adventure of missing the point. And I get really, really frustrated. And there's been times when I've been just downright angry because I feel like I wasted so much time in my life focused on things that are not really the things that Jesus taught. And that are not really the things that matter in terms of faith. And what I'm talking about is exactly what Colby mentioned. The idea of certainty, the idea of looking at the Bible as this tool to understand what certainty is, and then to go one step further, that church becomes this place where we identify who's in and who's out. And I can just speak from my own experience and say that that has caused me a lot of hurt over the years, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Now, one of my favorite chapters, at least from the title of it anyway, from Kobe's book, The Shift. And I'll make sure that the direct link to Kobe's book is in the notes of this show. But one of my favorite chapters is chapter seven. And the title of the chapter is, I can't stand church, dot, dot, dot. Where do I find one? And maybe you're like me and you really resonate with that. You feel this sense of freedom, this sense of excitement because you don't feel tied to this thing that has felt oppressive in your life. But then you also feel this longing, this missing of so many great parts about what church represents. I was on my friend Nate's podcast about a month ago and he asked, well, what do you miss about church? And my response was most of it because the vast majority of what church offers is wonderful and is beautiful. So I don't want any of these podcast episodes to come across as if I hated church or I hate church. That couldn't be farther from the truth. What we're trying to identify here 
are where the key flaws are in the system that is being promoted so they can be adjusted and changed as we move into the future. So I had to ask Colby to just dig into that chapter a little bit more. Dig into the chapter, I hate church, where can I find one? When people undergo the shift, and when I talk about the shift in the book, I'm just trying to name that phenomenon of moving away from conservative Christianity or, or sometimes being sort of kicked out or shown the exit doors of conservative Christianity and, and being on this process, this journey towards something more progressive. Very, very often it involves deep wounding and pain around the church. This could be religious leaders that wounded people. This could be communities or small groups that made people feel small or outsiders. The, the feeling of you just you no longer fit in in your old church anymore because you're asking questions that people think are heretical or you have ideas that, that people think are dangerous. And so when people go through this shift, there is oftentimes this sense of relief of no longer being in this oppressive sort of suffocating church experience. But that's often followed by a, a massive longing, a deep hole in their inner world, because we are relational beings. When the ancient Jews thought of Yahweh as the creator God, and they imagined what it was like for God to create everything. The way they told the story is that God created the moon and the stars, and it was good. God created trees and plants, and it was good. God created animals and fish and birds, and it was good. But then this flow of goodness suddenly comes to a screeching halt when God creates just a human and discovers that the human is alone. Suddenly, that's not good. Everything else in creation, good, but then loneliness is not good. At our deepest core, we long to be in relationship with other people. And for many of us, we had a version of that in our older conservative worlds. And then when we left, that initial freedom of no longer being confined suddenly felt very sad and lonely. And so, yeah, so the title of that chapter is I Can't Stand Church, and that comes with all good reasons because people have been wounded by it. But then they had that sense of, but do you know one in my city that I could try? And that's the sort of emails I get all the time. Because we still want to belong. We want to feel like we are a part of a community. We want to have people that we do life with, that we help raise their kids and they help raise our kids. We want to have people that we bring meals to when they're sick and bring meals to us. You know, try as we might, we haven't as a society figured out anything to replace the church in terms of building sustainable communities that fill these gaps in people's lives. Yeah, people find them occasionally at the YMCA or the PTA. I, I get it. I don't want to diminish that. But by and large, what I've, what I've found is that that's the, that's the minority, is the people who have left church and found the same type of community in some other sort of entity. Most of the time, it's just people are like, well, I was never able to fill that gap in my life. Or they filled the gap by finding another progressive more inclusive community of faith, churches that, that practice radical hospitality, that don't have this damaging bait and switch of, yeah, all people are welcome here. We welcome all people. 
But then the closer you get to the fine print or the closer you get to the Holy of Holies, you discover, oh no, there's some real expectations about how you behave and what you believe. So it's really not about belonging. It's about fitting in. Fitting in is when you hack off parts of yourself or you add on parts that are not natural to you so that you can, quote, fit in. Belonging is just, oh, do you have breath in your lungs? Do you have blood flowing through your veins? Then you are a love child of God, full stop. So you belong here. You're in. You're in. You're in. And I think that's part of why I'm still in the game is because people still are longing to belong and they have a, a need, an innate, hardwired DNA level, divinely given need to be in community with others. Um, and to the extent that I can help create non judgmental, loving, open, safe spaces for people to do that, man, that's a pretty good life mission right there. What if we could work together? to create church communities, communities of faith, where everyone is truly welcomed? What if we could create communities of faith where it was all about how well we love, not about what we know, in quotes, for certain? What if we gathered together and surrounded one another with the love of Jesus and all the good things that church has to offer? And what if we use that as a platform to revolutionize and to change the world in Jesus' name? Not because we get it, not because we know so much, but because we love so deeply. Special thanks to Colby Martin. What a great man with incredible insight. Be sure to support him by purchasing his book, The Shift. I'll put a direct link into the show notes, but you can find it on his website at colbymartinonline.com, or you can also hop on Amazon and get it there. Also, be sure you check out his podcast that he does with his wife called The Kate and Colby Show. I'll put a link as well to that in the show notes. And I was listening to Colby's interview, I thought of one more resource that might be helpful. And that's a book by Peter Enns, that's E-N-N-S, called The Sin of Certainty. Talks a lot about what Colby was referencing in this episode. As always, you can support the Jesus Never Ran podcast by subscribing, by giving us a five-star rating, and by writing a review. Next week, I'm so excited to continue this conversation with an incredible author, activist, speaker, Brian McLaren. Until then, keep walking.